0: In what we're doing now, we're getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply, what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary voluntary. We don't know the contrast organically. folks welcome back meditations and molotovs i am your host vince Manueli. you are listening to the progressive radio network prn.fm where you could find us here every monday at 1 p.m central time we are joined in studio today by one of the best folks that we know here on the program sergio alexander corgan he is a activist a former or while well, a veteran a filmmaker uh, someone who's been on the program in the past, I've interviewed him for uh, Telesur English as well. Uh, Sergio has a master's degree in political economy of agriculture and the environment economics of development at the University of Rotterdam's Institute of Social Studies in the Hague, Netherlands for the past 24 months. He has been working on a documentary about events in Ukraine where Sergio was born and raised. Of course, he's been involved with other social movements as well. We will get into that and speak with Sergio in a moment. There are two events that I want to turn you on to here today. The first is Northwest Indiana Resist, Gary Airport's Future. These are public presentations. This is today, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Gary Chicago International Airport Terminal, 6001 Airport Road. That's 6001 Airport Road at the Gary Chicago International Airport today at 6 p.m. The Gary Airport has been used for inhuman deportations for years and following the no wall, no ban rally in East Chicago. This issue has been targeted by the Northwest Indiana Resistance Coalition to be addressed. We must have a turnout of Northwest Indiana residents to show that we no longer want our airport to be used to deport our neighbors or to be used only as an assistance to the O'Hara international airport. We want a humane and independent Gary for a humane and independent Northwest Indiana. The presentation will begin immediately following the GCIA authority board meeting. Listen to airport authority chairman, Stephen Mays discuss the master plan update on Lakeshore public radio about the master plan, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Tonight, 6 p.m., Gary International Airport, 6001 Airport Road. Check it out. Come out. Spread the word. I posted the event on my Facebook page, or I will post the event on my Facebook page after today's program. There's another book that I've been getting into. I'm going to have her on the guest here. Uh, Hopefully on the program maybe next week or the week after. Her name is Andy Zeisler. Her book, We Were Feminists Once, from Riot Girl to Cover Girl, The Buying and Selling of a Political Movement. I am up to about chapter three now. Excellent, excellent book. Andy Zeisler is the, I think, operating editor of Bitch Magazine and also uh, Bitch Media. So check out, it's spelled as such, B-I-T-C-H. Go to Google, check it out. Her name is Andy Zeisler, that's A-N-D-I-Z-E-I-S-L-E-R. We Were Feminists Once.
1: All right. Well, with all that, welcome to the program, Serge. Thank you for having me here. Um, Good to be back in the region.
0: Fucking A, fucking A. All right. So we got a lot to talk about. Let's talk about first, for people who don't know you or who aren't aware of your background, we met each other in the Marine Corps in 2002, 2003. What was your life like before then? You were born in Ukraine. You moved to the Ukraine in, what, 94, 95. Talk, talk to us about growing up and being born in Ukraine. Tell us
1: about those experiences. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, I was born in Ukraine. Um, I lived there until I was 13. So uh, we immigrated to the United States in 1997. Uh, I, of course, I was six years old when the collapse of the Soviet Union began, and I basically was there for the so-called the most turbulent years uh, of the Soviet Union. Um, It was, uh, I guess we can call it a collapsed state. Um, It was, there was no uh, enforcement of anything. Uh, Police was playing along the lines of mafia. Uh, institutions whether uh, healthcare um, educational institutions maintain their um, status they weren't that bad Um, they weren't sleeping as bad but healthcare and everything else that had to do with uh, infrastructure was basically uh, truly non-existent and it was just interesting to um uh to see how well now looking back at it to see how people were able to adapt real quick to it and um, find different means of uh feeding the families feeling feeding the relatives and kind of making through those turbulent years um well how connected was your family to the actual political apparatus in the soviet union Well, in the Soviet Union, uh, my grandmother was, uh, she was head of the communist um, sort of like a regional local locality. Uh, My father, he was, he was in the military. He was in the Navy. He was a naval officer. So he had to participate somewhat, but he wasn't really too uh, political. And my mother, uh, being a teacher and uh, being a principal at an art school, uh, she she obviously had to deal with it. But uh, it was now, do you mean before the collapse of the Soviet yeah. Union? Yeah. And so, of course, they had to participate, but it wasn't they weren't really uh, they understood that the system that existed was not really communist or socialist so they were very careful with it, and they knew about the corruption and everything else. And but they also knew that you have to keep your mouth shut; otherwise, you, uh, you know, there can be uh, consequences, uh, whether with your career within the community or uh, whatever it might be. Hmm. So people here grow up; they would say, "All right, the Soviet Union is
0: this horrific place: uh, police state, poverty, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. That's sort of how people grow up here, thinking about the Soviet Union how much of that of course we know is very complex is much more different different story but how much of that is true and how much of what you experienced under the Soviet Union would be say things you'd want to apply to like a new society you know we're organizing we're trying to create new institutions new society how much of that image that the West was given is true and how much of that was bullshit and what are the elements in Soviet Union that you think you would actually like to carry on those are good things that we should look back
1: correct all right so uh yeah this is a big debate
0: on the left you know i mean ever since the soviet union has collapsed there's sort of been this ideological vacuum people don't really know what they should identify with what are they fighting for there is no international movement for socialism there is no international movement for communism and so on
1: yeah well okay so uh to start with i think that um this oppression thing, yeah, of course, there are people, um, I think up to Brezhnev and Khrushchev, uh, things were really bad. Uh, of course, Stalinist oppression, uh, you couldn't speak, you couldn't say a lot of things. Nonetheless, uh, those were more probably associated with media or maybe challenging the system. And we can obviously understand that because uh, we can understand it through different um systems that happened before so like when you have somebody speaking out you might think that they're from the west uh they might be trying to spread capitalism and therefore instead of uh finding um sort of appropriate means to deal with it uh they were just jumping to sending people to siberia executing uh putting in jails now in terms of social uh structure i wouldn't uh, it's hard to say that it was an oppressive uh, mechanism because uh women uh, went to universities and got education. Of course, there's a difference between rural and uh, urban areas. So the rural areas, of course, some people in the rural areas, probably just like in the U.S., wouldn't didn't get their passports until the 90s or 80s, you right. know, because, well, number one, there isn't far you can go because right. of the restrictions. Uh, number two, a lot of those areas were concentrated on agriculture. And so the education was prevalent. everybody got initial uh secondary education yeah and then um but beyond that they might have been left behind a little bit now when you go to the urban areas so women went to universities women uh got educations way before uh it actually became as popular uh, spread as in the United States. Because I know one of our friends in Pennsylvania, she said, you know, until the 50s or 60s, you couldn't even attend uh, University of Pennsylvania as a woman, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was hard to get in. Uh, so in well, that-, that
0: book I'm reading from
1: Andy Zeisler, uh, she mentions that
0: women weren't e- even able to access credit equally until 74. In the U.S.,
1: exactly. So, in terms of social uh, progress, I think it was really ahead. Obviously, the healthcare system, even though it wasn't good, because the country was isolated uh, from majority of the world in terms of information, intellectual property rights, and all those things. Uh, so they didn't have access to a lot of modern technology. Right. Um, so they relied on it. Nonetheless, it was accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to have insurance. You can go to a hospital and they'll take care of you the best they could. Mm-hmm. Of course, it deteriorated slowly. And basically, you had to, uh, for example, when I got my appendicitis pulled out, like my parents had to pay for anesthesia, for staying in the hospital, for food in the hospital, for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's already in the 90s. Um, what year was that? Uh that was 92, 92 mm-hmm. or ninety-three. Um and, and so this is after eight years of occupying Afghanistan. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dagestad. I mean yeah. all all kinds yeah. of places, you know. So I mean and that's so tons of money on the military. Yeah, tons of money on the military. And of course, as soon as people in power uh, start getting more seeing access of what's going on in Europe and what's going on in the West uh, the corruption really exploded because they wanted to have the same things or they wanted to get out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was I think it's like the balance between understanding what we're missing out sort of and this uh, this idea of consumption and consumerism and not having all these products you know I remember stores being empty I remember standing you know I used to uh, funny story I used to the only reason I would get bread in line, at the store line because i would you know sneaky little young man i would just come up and help him out to unload you know i'll get there early i'll help him out to <laughs> unload all the bread and then i'll be the first one to purchase the bread so you know, <laughs> and have to overcome you know uh, so yeah, yeah dude you got awesome, baby. <laughs> yeah exactly and i was what six seven you know uh so so those things are funny but yeah but as I was saying, like, for example, my aunt, she was... So wait, tell
0: me about where, give people out who are listening to this a geographical location.
1: You were born in X, you lived Z, where you yeah. know,
0: Like where where are we talking about?
1: Yeah, I was born in Crimea uh, because my father was stationed there uh, and my grandfather was uh, moved there too because they were in the military. And so I lived there for, in Sevastopol, I lived there for about four or five years and then... Uh, my father was stationed in a city called nova it's basically a new lake it was also military strictly military base uh it was north of uh north of sebastopol so uh, the northwestern part of uh, crimea and we lived there until the until my father retired, and we moved back to Sevastopol because that's where the family was at. And my family, a lot of my family was also, but mainly my mother's side from Odessa, outside of Odessa, and my father's side is uh, from far east, probably about a hundred kilometers from Chechnya, from Grozny, the capital of Chechnya. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, they're they're. Really interesting uh, story, I think, especially on my dad's side. Uh, My father's grandfather uh, was a coal miner in the east, in Donbass, where the conflict is going right now. And so his name was Kocherga. And when he was moving away from there, being Ukrainian and moving farther um, east, Mm-hmm. He had into Russia. Uh, he had to change his name to Kochergin mm-hmm. so he wouldn't be discriminated against and looked down as a minority, i.e. Ukrainian. Um and so he moved there. Now his uh his mother, my grandmother, uh she <laughs> her her father was in charge of two or three monasteries in uh, Russia. And so when the Bolsheviks came, they executed the whole family and she ran away and she also changed her last name. Mm-hmm. And that's where my grandfather and my grandmother met, you know, they were basically mm-hmm. uh, two byproducts of uh, this migration, internal migration, oppression and different things. Right. Um, right. So and my mother's side, uh, you know, they were outside of Odessa, farmers, you know, in a small village. Um, and, you know, but yeah, so going back to that. Uh, so my aunt, for example, like I said, my mom was a teacher and she eventually became a principal, but she didn't like the position because of the, the internal politics. She just wanted to teach and kind of be more uh, involved with community uh, and then my aunt in Odessa, she was in charge of the communication, uh, basically the, for the whole city, uh, radio slash communication uh, mm-hmm. place. My aunt who lives in LA now, she was in charge of the engineering, the whole like en- she was a top engineer basically at a uh, at like a manufacturing plant. Or uh... so in that sense, like there was equality. Like women were, of course. There's always there's always forms of patriarchal oppression that are systemic and those are obvious uh like not having people in politics in the positions you know in higher mm-hmm. positions where the decisions are being made nonetheless on the smaller level um and i also want to mention something which is important i also especially now going back and filming it's a very matriarchal society and matriarchal not in the sense of Uh, Women uh, like controlling or acting uh, macho, but more in the sense of women basically carrying the weight of what's been happening and what takes place. Mm -hmm. And I think it especially arises from uh, conflicts like uh, the revolution, because a lot of males were executed or killed uh, during the fighting between the bandits and the uh, czars uh, remaining, you know, remaining forces and all other kind of bandits that were going on different gangs then of course during world war Two, we yeah. obviously know that right. i mean there was basically i mean villages there were um, some estimates are 27 million yeah so like when one man would come home and he would be in a village of you know 20 30 40 50 maybe a thousand women you know what i'm saying yeah. like there was yeah. He was, number one, he was perceived as an idol because, oh, wow, we have a man now. But there's also creating an internal conflict, the competition of getting that man. And so, and now I see special, even though women do not hold positions in the government, uh, basically all the places that I've seen, like um, restaurants or little stores or shops, they're all managed by women. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The activism, for example, poly, uh, like uh, the the major uh, one of actually one of the greatest volunteer movements that sustained uh, Ukrainian military during the past two years, uh, it was all ran by women. I mean, mostly. I'm not gonna say all women, but mostly were women um and yeah and so it's 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 really interesting and uh and of course so that would
0: be an element that you'd want to take away yeah exactly so that's something that that is definitely better than what we do here yes
1: of course i mean women perceived as these really strong uh, characters who are able to get things done well because they and i'm thinking because
0: they had to get things done you know so you have these men being killed during the revolution, men going away to fight during the revolution. You have World War One, World War II, especially, of course, then for the Russians, lo- losing uh, what some people estimate as 27 million people, and then into the next generations and complete generations lost. I mean, in some ways, I've heard the same thing, uh, although I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if people would call uh, France a matriarchal society, but I do think that I've heard similar stories from French friends who again experienced the loss of a generation of men and where women sort of had to, no matter what, uh, carry the weight, not that they weren't carrying the weight before that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. There was no, there were a lot of figures who were just missing. So, okay. So you bring, so bring us up
1: to, and there's one more similarity I oh, want yeah. to jump go in. Ahead. I'm sorry. No, um, go ahead. the, the similarity that I'm seeing here and there, um, is that the, basically this new statistics that came out with the 40 to from 40 and up, these males are basically dying off here, you know, from different stress, alcoholism, uh, um, pharmaceuticals, well,
0: especially white males. Yeah,
1: white males. So especially in Ukraine, the same thing's going on. So another big uh, issue there is that alcoholism is very prevalent. And that, of course, like amongst youth, too. One of my interviews, Sergey from Lviv, uh, that's what he does. He basically teaches. He does courses uh, through grants. Um, He does courses to prevent youth alcoholism. And that's, of course, due to the institutional inability to regulate uh, the sale of alcoholism and prosecute those who sell to the kids. So basically, if you're 12, 13 years old, you can go to a store. Maybe not all of them, but you can go to some places and... Buy beer they either won't even ask you or if they ask you you can tell them it's for your parents and you got it same thing with smoking as well yeah and so when you're living in the you know when you're living in countries that always go through depression or uh some kind there's always this continuous social trauma i think it's one of the things kids turn to and then eventually grows into this generational Um, issues of problems and so that's also another thing Uh, a lot of women number one a lot of single women with kids uh, because they either don't wanna uh, stay with an alcoholic partner or abusive partner Um, and also this you know they're they're about two women per a guy Mm -hmm. uh, the ratio Uh, it might be even bigger Mm -hmm. so there's also these different tensions that come into play with that And, you know, and of course the trauma is pretty uh, continuous and you can say generational as well. So, bring us up
0: before you leave? 97. 97 you leave. Okay. So that's seventh grade. Bring Mm -hmm. us up to 1997, family decides we're coming to the United States. Who made that trip first? How did that decision go down? Do
1: you remember? Well, here's, how, I mean, it's a, it is a funny story, too. So, um, up to 1990, uh, my mother's uh, brother uh, immigrated to United States in the 1960s or 70s. Um, and so, myself, my father, and uh, other members on the other family didn't even know I had an uncle. Because if... Uh, If my dad knew that we had an uncle in the United States, it would have uh, really bad repercussions on his job being a naval officer because he was, I mean, he was a navigator and he was on a nuclear, you know, nuclear capability destroyers, you know, that were always, you know, in uh, in the first during the conflict. Uh, And so. So we didn't even, my dad didn't even know. He actually, he actually found out when my uncle came. He actually found out by being called into the office and these high-ranking, I mean, he was basically a colonel in the Navy. And these high-ranking were asking, like, hey, man, did you not, why did you tell us that you're Oh wow. So- Sister, your—I mean, your wife's uh, brother in the United States. You know, and he was yeah. like, "Hey, but it, it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a uh, complicated situation." So, um, and so, yeah, and, and then when my father found out, so another story to add to it. I'm just gonna, you know, jump between the stories. My grandfather, uh, my father's side, he was a naval aviator, and he was fighting in the north, flying with American uh, pilots, and so. When the war was coming to an end, like uh, he made some friends and they were offering for him to uh, immigrate to United States. But he he understood that if he did that, there can be huge repercussions for people he knows, for friends, for family members and all that stuff, especially uh, with everything that's going on that was going on. Uh, And so when he, you know, and he always told my dad, if you have ability, you have to go, you have to go to the United States. And so when, you know, when this happened, my uncle came and like, we're talking. uh, And you know, we wanted to stay because my uncle was there, like most of our friends and family there. I mean, I think this is another point for people who might have some issues with immigrants or migrants. The point here is that we don't want to leave our homelands. Like, we don't want to leave places that we're familiar with where we have friends and family. So, like, this, uh, this urgency to leave is very economic and very social. And so, like, people, you know, I give props to especially people who left, like my parents, my dad was 50, you know, uh, my dad was 50, my mom was 46. Uh, so, you know, and we left our friends and family. So now imagine, and we, we went through visas, we didn't have to go through what people have to go from Central South America, or even people were going through right now through Afghanistan, Syria, like all those places and those dangerous uh, migration uh, routes and patterns. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I want, I want people to keep that in mind that, no, nobody wants to leave their homes and nobody wants to go somewhere else where, where they don't know what they're going to be or what's going to happen to them. Um, so that, so, and and so basically things start getting worse. I mean, we uh, the, the place the neighborhood we lived in uh, in the city was where the uh, main mafia uh, residency was there. So everybody was, the youth from, 14 to 18, 19, they were most likely involved in some kind of way in mafia, because that's how you make money. There's no other way. So I mean, we would have wars. I mean, you would, you know, you can hear RPGs going off between the, you know, the mafia uh, rivalry. So and, you know, and my dad, and my mom saw what's going on. And they decided that basically, we need to if we want our kids to have um, future we you know we got to get out of here now like mm-hmm. we have to go and so they applied for a refugee status uh and um of course we got it granted due to the fact that my uncle who was sort of pressured by my other aunt to uh co-sign for us say mm-hmm. that if anything happens i'll be responsible right. for them and they right. won't have to uh they won't sponsor you know, yeah they sponsor yeah you. And and so, yeah, and so uh, my parents weren't telling us anything. Of course, you don't want to tell people that you're leaving, going to the U.S., uh, you don't, you know. So it was very quiet until the last moment, until we heard that, um, until we got the confirmation that we got approved the status. And so and then um, it was an interesting time. Yeah, I was excited because my grandmother watched this uh, series called Santa Barbara. Uh, so you know, and she went to see my um, in the '90s after the collapse. She went to see her son, uh, my uncle, and you know, and so it was like it was kind of one of those intriguing, interesting things that you want, and like you know, it's it's all it was always presented like it's the right place, like it's the perfect place, you know. There's no hunger, no, you know, unemployment, none of that stuff, uh, and so like yeah, at first it was really exciting, and I think it was exciting all the way up to the point of uh coming here and kind of realizing what's going on so so how'd you guys get it you guys flew yeah yeah we flew okay yeah and we flew so straight
0: you, so you get to where philadelphia new jersey here? yeah new we jersey? flew
1: into new york uh jfk or new york i don't remember now uh most likely jfk because it's the hub for um immigration okay uh, we flew in there. My mm-hmm. uncle picked us up. Uh, he took us to his uh, house with the pool, which, I mean, I, I, you know, for me it was... So they had a pool? Yeah. yeah. A pool. Like, <laughs> like an in-ground pool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did they live? <laughs> they lived in uh, Colonial, New Jersey. Okay. You know. Um, so for me it was crazy. And then when we went to the stores, I mean, that was just yeah. beyond any, anything I, I could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, and so... And then, of They're course,
0: probably super uncomfortable for your parents, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, well, especially for them because they right. they knew they had to get on the ball and like it was you know time to get on the ball and basically find jobs and you know do what they have to do basically mm-hmm. to make sure that we get through school and go to university or whatever that means, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then of course it sank in like the family and all that stuff. You know, it's it's it started hitting heavy, but the need and necessity to adopt and to basically make this your home because there's no other home. Like that kind of took attention away from, uh, from drama, at least, uh, well, uh, from trauma, at least being sure. a child, you know? Sure. And so, and like as you know, we talked before, like kids, for example, kids who were, who were born here, you know, Americans, they were all nice. They were always helping out and stuff like that. So it was really, uh, it wasn't really a hard, uh, Hard transition, except the emotional stuff and sure. uh, personal stuff. But yeah. Hmm. So this is ninety seven, ninety eight. Mm-hmm. You're here. What's school like? You're going to American schools now. I'm in the eighth grade, uh, first day. And so when I went into the algebra class, um, I I thought that uh, they put me into a lower class because uh, because I was an immigrant. Because by that time, we basically were already did geometry and all that stuff. So school seemed very easy. Now, um, I think my... But the dislike of school, I think, started early in, uh, in Ukraine, when I was in Ukraine, uh, through an incident. And then we we had an incident where basically my mother and her brother stopped uh, communicating. Uh, and... A lot of our family members, uh, relatives, lived in outside of Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. And so we decided to move there. So when I got there, uh, we got really lucky. And my parents were able to buy a house without a down payment for like $98,000 in the neighborhood. That's, um, it was still growing in that time. Um, and from another Ukrainian couple who were retiring, and I don't know what they were doing. So that allowed them to move into this uh place, and so that's an interesting thing I always think about as well how immigrants who who were only in the United States for a year and a half but having European names and not really having uh only job you know like working for a long time mm-hmm. were a were approved for a loan for a house without a down payment. Sure. And some people who live here never been approved. Now, of course, we know that it was uh, basically a shark loan. You know, there were yeah. eventually a lot of people going to go uh, flipped on it and weren't able to uh, pay for it. Nonetheless, so that allowed us to move into this neighborhood. And I think this is where it started because there were only few people, uh, the neighborhood, the part that we lived in, it's, it's actually middle-class working class like people in those little townhouses they they're working class people and middle-class people and so and then outside of it that started building it's it goes more up there houses cost between five hundred thousand to a million two million it's bucks county so it's a very old money there as well so it's one of the oldest counties the the one of the last counties in the union who joined the union <laughs> I mean, so they were it's it's an interesting history behind that place as well um and so and this is where i kind of came in contact with class issues and class differentiation especially not not much from the uh, americans but more from the immigrant communities
0: hmm.
1: immigrant communities that left earlier and who came here with a lot of capital. And so we can, we can imagine what, how that capital was obtained uh, during the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so, and this is where I start aligning, finding friends who were more on the same level, you know. And that kind of uh, pushed me away from the place itself. And then eventually when we got our, so we were pretty isolated in the sense. And then once we got our driver's license, we started going into more diaspora communities that were larger, uh, like Northeast Philadelphia, people from India, a lot of Eastern Europeans, um, Africans, you know, like this these concentrated, dense uh, diasporas. And so, uh, yeah, and that's, and that's where I think things started to go um, a little bit sour. Um, a lot of what I can say right now is that a lot of immigrants who came to the United States that I came in contact with, a lot of us thought maybe that it was really easy to make money here. The money grows on trees and like <laughs> all those things, which is, that's yeah, how was, sure. that's sure. how it is, you know, sure. That's how it was presented. That was yeah. That's how it was portrayed. And so, and I think a lot of people weren't able to handle that and so Among us, 16, 17, 18 year old, like there was a lot of people who were pushing drugs, stealing cars, trying to make the money quick way. And and so the funniest thing about it as well is that all of us had jobs. Like I worked at a store grocery gennardis, and I also did telemarketing at night. While at the same time, we would, you know, push things here, push things there, you know, like lift there, push something here, put something there. And so that kind of got me into um, and. Yeah, and of course the uh, the drug abuse, and so like poor communities, uh, lower communities always have this. Maybe statistically, might be different because we know, of course, the rich always also use drugs a lot of them, but heroin, uh, pharmaceuticals, prescription drugs, a lot of those were going around, and so a lot of people start getting hooked up on it, and uh, a lot of our friends start going to jail. Uh, dying, ODing, um, getting killed. And that was basically for me a sign that I had to go away. And that was basically a push. So, I mean, I signed up to the military before 9-11. So I signed up because I graduated from high school earlier. Uh, We had our early graduation program. I went to a community college. I took a course there. um, And then that credit was accepted in high school. And I graduated earlier uh, because I just wanted, you know, I didn't, I didn't enjoy school because it felt to me was very, it was not that it was structured but it was very narrow um, and I didn't like the way uh, they were presenting the information as well and so like I never had interest yeah in history I was interested in history I was interested in mathematics and stuff like that but uh, arts uh, yeah, But to
0: come from overseas and have an American centric education that's got to be wild <laughs> You know, just you come from overseas, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, this is a new place, but now you have this education that is centered around a totally different nation and a nation with a very specific history.
1: Yeah, but I, I come from the Soviet Union, too, so the Soviet Union aligns itself with Russian Empire. So our our education was uh, also kind of um, in that way. It was very, like, yeah, I mean, you obviously they didn't teach us that. You know, they taught us that, a hey, like, we all want. I
0: don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right. Well, anyway. But th- I mean, that's the kind of th- that's you know, when I think about the uh, the two systems themselves, that's kind of what I think. I mean, that that was. I hear what you're saying. There's some people who are going to think of it differently, but I I am glad you said that because that that's kind of the train of thought I was thinking about. Like I was thinking. Both places have this insular view of their understanding of the world and so on. And I'm thinking of that recent uh, Adam Curtis documentary, uh, Hypernormalization. And he mentions in it periods at the end of the Soviet Union where people couldn't imagine what a different system would look like. And I think of that now because even the activists I know and a lot of people who are supposedly radical and all of these other other things like – we know what we're radically opposed to, but we really don't know what we want in a lot of ways. We don't have an alternative vision for society anymore that, I mean, that anyone can really agree upon, even the people who are who are really involved. And that's a big problem. Um, but I, I think of also visiting your home in Philadelphia where your parents live and – talking to them about the end of the Soviet Union and 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 them talking about how that period looks similar to this and what's happening here today and I've, that's always stayed with me because your parents aren't particularly radical people it's not like they're like you know self-identified leftists and all of these things I but you know very smart people and also with this the, their personal uh, history and background um, so when you jo- what did your parents say when you joined the military for the U.S. and well, your dad being in the military, like what did they say when you signed up?
1: Well, it, I mean they, because <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna join the uh, Navy first, you know. Okay. So they were kind of more cool about it, you know. They weren't really. Uh, they still, obviously, mothers never want their kids to join the military. Um, my right. dad also told me not to do it. You know, better to go to uh, university and whatever. But when uh, I joined the Marine Corps and I told them I signed up to the Marine Corps, they totally freaked out. They knew what I you right? Know? Uh, Especially after nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, but there was no, I mean, they couldn't really oppose me because, what, within less than a year, I would turn 18. and I would still follow that path. So they, they rather, uh, they were rather to support me and, you know, uh, even if they didn't like the fact, but support me and kind of uh, let me go on more of a positive note than having a fight or distress and then something happening to me in Iraq and then, you know, it's it's bad. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so they weren't happy about it, of course, and they, you know, they were trying to talk me out of it, but um, they could see I was really happy about it and motivated
0: and... So what do you what do you attribute this? I just had some filmmakers at the house. They always make me rethink this and try and put myself back in my mindset. It's it's I actually I, I mean there wasn't much thought that went into it for me. I mean there just it was more or less this like you know it was bored options limited. What am I going to do? Like very superficial. I'm in shape type of thing. I mean when so people ask you that question over the years and they expect I think a profound answer. You know like why did you join the military? You know and it's like. I, I didn't have one, but I have met people who do have profound answers. So, no, yeah, yeah. So no tell me, like, what, what were you thinking at the time? Were you like, was this uh, more about masculinity and patriotism? Was it about what, you know, like,
1: what, what did this have to do? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different elements. Obviously, getting out of the environment that I was in, um, okay. obviously, my grades were not uh, good enough to go to uh, university it's
0: almost an economic draft in some yeah, ways like what the hell else were you gonna yeah no yourself? money
1: to and then also yeah I mean the the idea of the commercials you know like the uniform you know like first to fight you know like you're gonna get this wild go to these incredible places do these incredible things you know and of course being the best of the best you know like marines are like right. the few, the proud right, you know right. even though it was it turned out to be different um, <laughs> nonetheless a little bit (laughs) just a tiny bit uh yeah so and Uh, so those were the main i mean the main motivations and i also thought that it would instill some sort of like this uh forced uh discipline you know even though it was my parents kind of instilled into me i just ignored it at that point of time you know and this and going to military helped me to uh understand what you know basically kind of re recapture what was, um, uh, what was instilled into me through parents and not uh, parenting and then basically realizing it. And would you say that
0: it's a broad statement, but would you say that there, cause Johnny told me that everyone is hyper disciplined when he went out there. Like he said, that was one of the things like that he noticed was that there was more people were just kind of disciplined about certain things and like, like more structure and so on. Like, do you think that that is a big difference? Where, in the military? No, 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 no. In Ukraine. Oh, ah, in Ukraine. Up and so on, like, more, a little more discipline, structure. Why would that, like, I, I wonder, like, that's a big statement to make. But, I, you know, there, it's obvious Different in different societies there's different levels of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm... this is obviously one of the issues. Like, they, they used it in a negative way. But, like, when we've talked to Yorgo, you know, about, you know, people in Greece. Like, yeah. he's like, no, like, we... There's some of us who are like, no, we want a more laid back society. Yeah, yeah. Like we come from a culture that's a little more laid back. Like we're not, you know, hyper industrious capitalist type of people. Yeah. Um, whereas then you know they see sort of being integrated into the EU, and then of course everything that went down with Germany, they see like, oh, here's this like hyper yeah. materialist, industrious, engineering capitalist society that's you know coming down here and trying to tell us that we need to you know whip up get into shape get off the beach put down the ouzo well those are (laughs) definitely
1: the yeah i think those are definitely the resemblance of the soviet union right and the idea behind it i remember you know there were radios like in the morning to do uh kind of communal like a country communal countrywide you know uh calisthenics and stuff like that (laughs) you know and it's like working waking up you know like a lot of this industrial you know everything's based on industrial stuff as well yeah and which is very
0: structured in itself for anyone who's ever
1: been in a factory or steel mill and i also think the fact that basically when you grow up there like you you do have a Uh, childhood and it's you know because there's a lot of community stuff a lot of social things to do but nonetheless like you're always cleaning stuff you're always like you have these responsibilities that you have to do around the house and so I think that also plays a big part into it that from the early age you know you're you're kind of like You're getting ready. You know what to do. You know because you live with your grandparents. You might live with your uncles, aunts. You know your parents are working or whatever. Because everybody was working. You know, like women, men. Like there was no, um, you know, there was no differentiation. So I mean, did your
0: family be like think to themselves, "These people are spoiled as shit here"? I mean, was there some of that? Like, what? Like, well, these people don't really know, like, what the hell? I mean, there's some people. Obviously, it's more complicated. because if you different communities are going to know what it's like quote unquote exactly. you know like so you're going to have poor black communities that are like well yeah we know what it's like to be shit on by society and institutions and white people and so on for years and years and years yeah i mean there's but there's a whole class of people in the united states like whatever that's considered the middle upper middle class yeah. people especially people living in the suburbs who i mean they there's never been a day that they've gone hungry anything like that. I mean I often wonder how much better so those sort of societies like in Ukraine or former Soviet Union different parts like and even in different communities here internally as yeah. we've talked about will better deal with really bad times. Yeah and that's I mean and that's I mean that's Cuz I don't reason. see a lot of people in the United States dealing with really bad times really well. There's going to be a whole class of white people especially I think who they have no. Yeah, it's been generations and generations. I mean, you know, my my grandparents. The only one that's alive now is my grandma. But I used to talk to my grandmas about the Great Depression, but that was it. I mean, there was no other um, institutional memory, if to put it in the best way yeah. I could put it, for like the family. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. nobody ever brought that up. Everybody after that lived in uh, the golden era of capitalism, yeah. all the way up until now. My, you know. Uh, our parents' generation being like sort of the end of that phase, yeah. and even for different people, like your parents, that wasn't that wasn't the same experience as my parents at all.
1: Yeah, I mean they perceive. Uh, yeah, I mean they, I I think more of, not from them, but more of uh, speaking from like a diaspora, especially from Eastern Ukraine, because I'm more uh, aware of that. I would probably say yeah. I mean a lot of people don't really perceive, but then then again I, I don't. You know, that's why I'm not really in the in part of that diaspora because I don't like this uh looking down on people in general and what does it mean to be a hard worker, you know. And so like yeah, there's this idea that, you know, Americans are not really, you know, like yeah, they they were raised, like they were born into this these things that are available there. So therefore it's not that they're lazy, it's it's that they sort of don't appreciate what they have right uh that's a better way to put it yeah they don't appreciate what they have and like the and due to that like they're not you know they um they don't strive for this idea in which I really dislike in the the diaspora communities is this this idea that, you know, well, we came from poverty and like we're here now we have to succeed. And it's like, well, what is succeed? Mm -hmm. You know, like driving fancy cars, like showing off in front of your people and then like stressing out all the time why, Mm -hmm. you know, that you have to work these jobs. So there's a lot of different uh, pressures and dynamics come. But yeah, that's uh, people perceive. But that once again, like, Coming from the ex-Soviet states, like I said, it's this this sort of imperialist uh, identity that, you know, we're better than, you know, like we're sort of uh, different. Yeah, for different reasons, anything you want. And of course, yeah, I mean, poverty here, like I said, the difference here, we talked about it before, so. Of course, there's... Hor- I mean, we can see Gary. I mean, we can see North Philly. I mean, those places are horrible, horrendous. You know, like when, when they tell me about the bad neighborhoods in Ukraine, for me, that's a joke in that yeah, yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. However, the difference of poverty here is that here you have access to things. Either way, you have access. No matter what you do, you have things in the store. You have water running. Some, mm-hmm. okay, might be dirty water, you know. Like you, mm-hmm. you can take showers, <laughs> you yeah. know, polluted no, water and stuff like that. Now, there... The issue was more of not having these things. So they just weren't there. Yeah, you still don't have an infrastructure for clean water unless you're, you know, in the aquifer somewhere in the rural area. And so, like, you know, all these things, electricity goes out, like, no electricity back in the 90s, early 90s for days, sometimes for months, you know. And so, and so things, yeah, and obviously empty stores. You know, even when you have money and you can't buy anything, like there's nothing to buy. I think sometimes it's worse because if there was something and I have no money, I can at least steal it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> like there's a way to go around it. Yeah. But when you have like money and you don't have the products or necessities there, like it's kind of shaky. So that's those are differences. So I'm not you know, I don't think I, I really disagree with a lot of the for on that, that, you know, kind of trying to compare like, well, here, here, this and here, that. Well, no, man, it's still, I think it has the psychological, if not physiological, the psychological impact of being poor. And especially for me here, what's bad is what I see actually worse is not having ability and seeing all these things around you, mm-hmm. like these huge houses. Sure full stores
0: sure i
1: think when we were in the store remember that little kid who came up to the crabs and he was just like looking at him he probably never ate him you know or never you know yeah yeah. because it's twenty dollars a pound sure so you know i think it's it's kind of those things you know it's it's i think both have this huge psychological impact and i think there is no i don't i I i wouldn't differentiate it in terms of social socios uh Uh, psychological impact on a human and, you know, and then obviously how it's uh, overflowed onto their children their communities around them. And we know that stress, especially financial stress and all those things are, don't just affect us. It affects everybody around us. Sure. You know, sure.
0: (sighs) Well, uh, what we're going to have to do, it's, we got about five minutes left for the program. Um, For those who are tuning in. You're listening to Meditations and Molotovs. I'm your host, Vince Emanuele. We are joined in studio today by Sergio Corgan, uh, who's a filmmaker and activist, a great friend of mine, and a lot of people who both listen to and support the program. And we've been talking to him for the last, uh, I'd say, 50 or 55 minutes or so uh, about his experiences growing up in Ukraine and and then coming to the United States. And then eventually joining the United States Marine Corps, uh, where me, where him and I met each other. Uh, but we only have a few minutes left, and so I think what we'll do, because Sergio will be in town, is we will simply have him on either next, probably next week, because it'll make sense and people can listen to both programs. And we will go from the military to present day, uh, where he's been in. Involved, well we'll go from the military where sergio and i met to then getting involved with different activist groups to then sort of going in our own ways and different pro- projects that he's been involved with uh, both overseas and here uh, and what he's doing now and what the hell we plan on doing in the future so first of all thanks for the first hour man <laughs>
1: thanks to be here always a pleasure
0: yeah man i i hope that we can uh continue this i'm sure we'll it'll just flow right into the next one and you know, in the future too, folks Sergio will be around and we've got some different ideas for projects and things we're going to do here in Northwest Indiana, but also in Chicago and really wherever the hell else we feel like doing it. But we definitely have some uh, cool things in, in the works here and uh, look forward to working with a lot of creative people in the region. There are some amazing folks who are doing amazing work and I want to make sure that that work is featured and highlighted and all of that. So anyway, I think I'll just cut it there. We'll have a few extra minutes of, uh, well, let me go. We don't know the contrast. Just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary, we don't know the contrast organic Organic God,